Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of, one that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to reu hotels and resorts and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. Good morning, peeps, and welcome to Woke AF Daily with me, your girl, Danielle Moody, recording from the Brooklyn Bunker. Folks, I open up today's show with a really horrific story, and I'm certain that you by now have no doubt seen the nonstop coverage of the pregnant woman who we all watched uh, that was being evacuated from the maternity hospital in Maripol in the Ukraine, who was bloodied, very, very pregnant, um, has died. And so has the baby that she was carrying. You know, often when we talk about war or have talked about war in this country We talk about it as if it doesn't have real life consequences, as if somehow the people, both the civilians that are on the ground and those uh, that are fighting, that they're not real people with families and homes and hopes and dreams and community and all of these things. We talk about war and we play it out in action movies and we play it out on video games and, you know, and, and don't really understand, right? unless you have actually seen war uh, firsthand. So this story um, is really hitting people. And again, I, I, I want us to say, because I think that we should have empathy, we should have deep empathy and deep understanding about what is happening on the ground as the NATO allies, as the United States contemplates whether or not they're going to get involved even more so than they are, that there are all of these complications of war that we don't discuss that, you know, frankly, as many people have said, is that Putin has broken all of the quote unquote war norms. If there are norms to be had in war, which frankly, they're not right. Because one person's liberator is seen as another person's terrorist, right? And you can justify a lot of things. We all know that America has over the course of its many bloodied invasions that have happened on our watch and with our dime. 
But nonetheless, we don't really talk about the people who are casualties of war. We don't even question here in the United States how other countries like Iraq and Iran and places that we have bombarded, right, with attacks over the courses of generations, how they see the United States. And so when we see these stories, like the one that has been captivating the news the last day or two, it is heartbreaking and it should break our hearts. We should be thinking about what are alternatives to war and what is the true motivator behind our inaction? Is it inevitable that we're all going to be drawn into World War III? Is that inevitable? Are we just slow pacing the inevitable here? And if so, how many lives are enough? Because in World War II, it was 6 million, right? What is going to be enough, enough damage that is caused, enough lives that are lost? And look, I am not advocating for the U.S. to put boots on the ground now, but it's the questions that I'm asking about how do we go about making these decisions? How do we go about deciding, right, that, you know, maybe it's a million lives, maybe it's 600,000, right? Like, it, how do you put a price on 2 million people having now become refugees over three weeks time. In three weeks time, 2 million plus people have fled the Ukraine, have poured into bordering countries. 2 million people. We are also still in a health pandemic, but we're not talking about that anymore. We're not talking about the consequences of what is going on and what is it that the world is willing to stomach. When I heard the story initially of the pregnant woman and her child that has died, you know, it's heartbreaking, right? It's heartbreaking to see people because I put myself in their shoes. What would you grab? Where would you go? Just this past weekend, I was celebrating my mother's birthday. And, you know, of course, we're talking about what is happening in the world. So we're talking about Putin's war in the Ukraine. And, you know, my dad asked a question that many of broadcasters have asked. Well, if we knew that he was a threat and he had already surrounded, put troops on the ground, why didn't people leave earlier? And I said to him the same thing that I wrote many weeks ago at the beginning, right? Three weeks ago at the beginning of the war, what I wrote about Ukraine, but us here in America. If your phone, if your phone rang in the middle of the night, started buzzing, let's say it's four o'clock in the morning, and all of a sudden there are alerts going off everywhere that, oh my God, we are under attack. What are you grabbing and where are you going? You are going to stay for as long as possible because you have no idea what your future looks like. All you know is the present moment. And as I was explaining that to my dad, he said, oh my God, you're right. And he started looking around the kitchen, looking around the living room and the house and saying, where would we go? And what would we do? And I'm like, these are the questions that people ask, right? There is no right area for invasion and attacks and the brutalities of war. 
whether we're talking about the Ukraine or Syria or Ethiopia, right? Whether we're talking about so many areas around the globe right now that are in refugee crises. Millions of people have been pushed from their home, from all that they know. It's hard for us here who are so far removed, but honestly, not really. Not if we're actually paying attention and we're being honest with ourselves. A little over a year ago, our capital was under attack. Stormed by 3,000 plus people holding their Trump flags, decked from head to toe in military regalia, zip ties, cocktail bombs, building guillotines, threatening violence, actually actualizing that violence by beating police officers, Capitol Police, D.C. Metro Police. We'd never in our lives seen what we saw on January 6th in America's modern history. The world aghast as our Capitol building was under siege for over 180 minutes while the president of the United States at that time, the twice impeached criminal, Donald Trump, was sitting around gleefully calling people, you see what they're doing for me? So we're looking at these people in the Ukraine that are fleeing to train stations that are in bumper-to-bumper traffic, pregnant women dying on stretchers. And we're thinking that this can't be us, it was us. Over the course of the last two years, folks, we have seen our Capitol building under siege and other state capitals under siege in this country. We have seen cops decked out in their latest G.I. Joe fits, attacking citizens of the United States in real time. We don't need to be thinking about foreign invasion in this country because it is more likely that we will have a civil war before Putin's nuke could ever land here. And this is what drives me crazy is because all of this is important. But the reality is, is that you cannot send people, you cannot send our soldiers to go and fight for democracy in the Ukraine and ignore the democracy that is crumbling at home. How do we do that? How do we say to ourselves, oh yes, and we look at them right now. We look at the Ukrainians with empathy. They're in the midst of deep suffering that we can't imagine. And I'm telling you, imagine it. Donald Trump, all but this over the weekend, all but announced that he's running for office in 2024. Now, I will tell you that I personally believe that Donald Trump is not going to run for office in 2024. I think that this is all a major fucking grift, right? But, but I say that, but if everything continues the way that it has, if Republicans take over the House, take over the Senate, 
We, they already have a stacked Supreme Court. They have been able to place their minions as secretaries of states around the country. They have put in their activation points. Then, yeah, Donald Trump will most likely run in 2024, and it will be the last election that we have. Because, frankly, if you really think about it, we have done nothing, nothing to secure our election since 2020. Nothing, given all that we have learned about what was at play as the insurrection was unfolding, who had instructed Trump, who had given directives and wrote PowerPoint presentations. We know what their plan is. It's literally been uncovered by the January 6th commission. And yet, as they have compiled all of this evidence, Donald Trump is still free. All of those that have aided him are free. And now let me read you this piece of hot shit that I came across. And I said, I'm just kind of done, right? Like some days I just get to a place where I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. I I don't even know what I'm thinking. So this is an article in the Washington Post yesterday. Here's the headline for you. Ginny Thomas, wife of Supreme Court Justice, says she attended the January 6th Stop the Steal rally before the Capitol attack. Thomas, the wife of Clarence Thomas, said she left the rally before the president took stage. So let me read you just a little bit of this, right? Because I want you to think now about 2024. I want you to think, no, no, no. Think about November. Right? I want you to think about the Supreme Court. I want you to think about the decisions that are being made right now that are coming down from the six to three conservative court. I want you to now think what the right would do if one of the liberal justices had a spouse that attended any Black Lives Matter protests, which, by the way, have all been peaceful, right? If that had happened, what they would be doing, what they would be calling for, and what Democrats would probably give them because they're spineless, they would say that they need to resign, that they need to step down. And if they wouldn't resign from the pressure, from the outrage, right, from even the appearance, even the appearance that something was awry, right, they would work to try and impeach that Supreme Court justice. They would turn it into a nonstop Fox News Republican event to take that person down. But here's where we are. Virginia Thomas, or Jeannie Thomas, wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, for the first time, has publicly acknowledged that she participated in the January 6, 2021, Stop the Steal. In an interview with the conservative Washington Free Beacon that was published yesterday, Thomas, who goes by Ginny, said that she was part of the crowd that gathered on the ellipse that morning to support President Donald Trump. Trump was claiming falsely that widespread voter fraud had delivered the presidency to Democrat Joe Biden, a falsehood he continues to this day to repeat. 
Thomas said she that she was at the rally for a short time, got cold, and went home before Trump took the stage at noon that day. She says that she was disappointed, quote, I was disappointed and frustrated that there was violence that happened following a peaceful gathering of Trump supporters on the ellipse on January 6th. Now, I, I want to know at what part did Ginny Thomas decide to leave? Was it when Rudy Giuliani was yelling at the crowd to go and get their country back? Right? Was it when they were continuing to tell the lie over and over again that the election had been stolen? Ginny Thomas is the wife of a Supreme Court justice who no doubt is educated. Does she not understand how the Electoral College works? Or does Clarence Thomas also believe that the election was stolen? And that had he been given the opportunity for one of those bogus fucking 66 cases, had it made it up to the Supreme Court, Clarence Thomas certainly would have voted to insert Donald Trump as president of the United States. Why is this not a bigger news story? Well, there are a couple of reasons, right? Europe is at war. But again, why do we have no scrutiny why are we not digging into Ginny Thomas and Clarence Thomas's finances? Why is there no call from Democrats to say, what the fuck is going on here? And certain that they are two distinctly different people, but we're talking about the wife of a Supreme Court justice being at the rally that was the pregame for the insurrection that cost people's lives. And we're just going to let that go as if it's not a big deal. As if that's just normal behavior. Folks, it's like you watch these things unfold. You see these stories making like a blip on our radar. And I'm telling you, by the time that we get to November and we lose, right? Because this is what all the polls are saying. And this is what we know to be true. That Democrats haven't offered a fucking thing, right? to the American people outside of infrastructure, nothing's been offered, right? Infrastructure and a couple of emergency COVID checks that Republicans voted against. And guess what? America's going to put the gavel right back in their hand for them to finish off destroying our democracy and starting impeachment proceedings for everyone under the sun. Just because they can, because they know that Democrats won't do anything about it except go on television and bitch and moan as if they have no power. It's so infuriating to be on the losing team, to consistently be on the losing team. And I'm just, I I, I guess I'm kind of over it, right? Like I'm over Democrats' inability to message to the American people that the Republican Party is aligned more with Putin than they are with the founding fathers. That they are aligned with a man who is responsible and gave orders to bomb a maternity hospital where certainly you know that women and children are going to be present. And you gave the okay. 
This is no what military operation that he is doing to liberate the Ukraine from Nazis, as Representative Cawthorn said, and as Tucker Carlson continues to go on Fox News on a regular basis and say. Putin is their idol. They believe that Donald Trump was akin to Putin, except Putin is actually fucking smart and isn't just a puppet to whomever gives him attention. He's a ruthless murderer. But this is who Fox News is giving airtime and applause to through Tucker Carlson. This is who is sitting in the House of Representatives. Representative Cawthorn was at a rally calling Vladimir Zelensky a thug. A man who has been visiting the wounded soldiers in the Ukraine to shake their hand and to thank them. The man who sent off his children and his wife so that he could stand his ground and defend his country more so than any fucking sniveling, spineless, ass-kicking Republican would ever fucking do. But this is who their heroes are. And I'm like, my God, what do these people have to do and say in order to set off an alarm in this country? In order for us to have our attention, not just on the horrors that are happening across the sea, but honestly, be able to make the fucking connection between what we are seeing Putin do and want to do and what we are seeing that Republicans want to do in America. This is the first time, folks, I got to say, at least in my life, that what you are seeing right now with the Republican Party and their splintering, right, in their support of Russia. Donald Trump, three weeks ago, was standing at a rally praising Vladimir Putin, praising him for his leadership and his strength. This is a man that has caused a refugee crisis of 2 million plus people, a man that has killed children and pregnant women. This is what the party of family values is cheering on. And no one is holding their feet to the fire on it. And that's why I continue to say that if we lose, when we lose, For midterms, it's not just going to be by the fault of Republicans and their voter suppression spree that they have been on. It's going to be because Democrats fail to offer an alternative and also they fail to identify who our enemy actually is. You're still referring to these people as your friends. And they are literally at war siding with your enemy, siding with our known enemy. How do we let that roll off of our backs? How do we pretend and say that this is okay? It's wild. America, America is wild. You know, I was speaking 
you know, folks, if, if you have not seen me on TikTok, I have decided to venture into uh, this new realm. And it will new to me, not new to the kids, but new to me. Um, and so I deliver content in a much different way over there. But one of the stories, one of the things, videos that I posted recently was about Jesse Smollett, the actor, um, formerly from Empire, a show that was on Fox, who back in 2018 or 2019, uh, made false claims, or at least the police in Chicago continue to say that false claims were made with regard to a hate crime. And Jesse Smollett was just sentenced uh, to five months in jail, uh, 150 days, right? Oh, close to $200,000 worth of fines, all for lying to the police. And what I said over the weekend um, and what I recorded on TikTok was, this is some hot bullshit. Right. Not because I don't think that there should have been some type of fine. Right. OK. You lie to the police. So the fuck what? Oh, you lied about a hate crime. People are saying, oh, my God, he set the LGBTQ plus movement back, you know, a decade. No, he didn't. The only thing that sets the LGBTQ movement back are Republicans and white evangelical Christians right, are the people like Governor DeSantis, who is pushing for a return to discrimination at the highest power for the LGBTQ community with making trans kids his biggest and favorite target. Jesse Smollett made a mistake that cost him most likely his career. Police, however, lie to the public all the time. They lie about the unarmed black people that they kill. They lie when they plant evidence on people. We take their police reports as if they are some type of fucking gospel, knowing that it's been proven time and time again that police officers lie. Case in point, George Floyd. If you had read the initial reporting, the police report said that George Floyd died of like some type of natural causes, some type of, you know, cardiac arrest following, you know, a lack of oxygen. Not the fact that Derek Chauvin had knee on his neck and cut off his oxygen supply and killed him in broad daylight after eight minutes and 46 seconds of torture. That's not what the police report said. The police report for Mike Brown, who was shot dead in Ferguson, didn't say that he had put his hands up and said, don't shoot, don't shoot. What about Eric Gardner? What about John Crawford? What about Alston Sterling? What about Stefan Clark? What about Sandra Bland? What about Rakia Boyd? What about Breonna Taylor? Police lie. That is what they do. They are an organized and legalized gang that is allowed to do whatever it is that they want. And because of the badge that they wear and the uniform that they have on, we take their word for everything, just like we take priests. Oh, and then look what they were able to do. Generations of sexual abuse. So somehow, Jesse Smollett needs to pay a bigger price? For what? Kyle Rittenhouse shot and killed two people, injuring a third who took the stand. He got off scot-free. 
He is embraced by the right wing as their new savior. Politicians wanting to arm wrestle in order to bring him in as an intern, uh, an intern, excuse me, an intern, a fucking murderer. So people wanted to come for me over my tweets and my video saying that, oh, there needed to be accountability and responsibility in whose criminal system? Because it doesn't matter if you're wealthy and you're black or you're famous and you're black, you're always going to pay a higher price. Jesse Smollett is going to be in jail for longer, right? Then most of the people that stormed the Capitol building and threatened to overturn our democracy. An insurrection that cost people their lives. Jesse Smollett is going to jail for longer than that? And we think that that makes sense? We think that that's what justice looks like? I'm so fucking sick of people talking about it and, and, and making these false equivalences when the evidence is presented in front of you, right? That lays out very clearly that our justice system doesn't function outside of white supremacy. It is one of the biggest proponents of that. You only have to look at sentencing, right? There are people right now that are sitting in jail serving maximum minimum sentences right? For marijuana that white people have now turned into after legalizing what they made illegal into a multi-billion dollar business. Stealing lives, stealing hope from communities of color. While we watch white people do so much fucking worse But then we want to say that, oh, the punishment fit the crime. No, it didn't. Jesse Smollett lied. Did or did not. Who even will know? Honestly. Because I don't believe the police. Not in this situation. And not in most situations. So... The fact is that we continue to look at the criminal injustice system and think that like they're somehow they're they're colorblind that somehow we haven't heard countless stories of judges getting kickbacks for the amount of black and brown kids that they funnel into the prison industrial complex that we don't know that cops cover for each other I'm just, you know, I I honestly, when I was reading the replies of the video that I posted and I'm reading some of the people's replies talking about, well, you lied to the cops and so, you know, he should get the book thrown at him. And I'm like, okay, so that's to assume that cops don't lie. That's to assume that Donald Trump, who actually lied to the entire nation about COVID-19, which by the time he left office 400,000 Americans have died at that point. We're now close to a million politicizing a pandemic because of Donald Trump that divided this nation, which was his fucking goal. Then he lied about voter fraud, which because of that lie, 
We had an insurrection that also cost people their lives. Donald Trump and every single fucking person around him is a fucking liar. None of them are in jail and their lives actually cost American lives. So once again, don't talk to me about some version of accountability when it's not the same across the board. And we know that, and we see it day in and day out, but somehow we continue to grasp onto it. Like it's some type of comfort or blanket. Oh, not all cops are bad. And oh, not all judges are bad, but I'm like, how many, how many bad apples spoil the bunch? How many spoiled and scarred orchards, right? From, from East coast to West coast, do you need in order to say that something is rotten, something is wrong? It's wild, you know, it, you know, and, and this is honestly, this is me doing both sides where I'm just like, I wish, I wish that Democrats had the same fortitude, had the same thirst right? The thirst for blood that Republicans have, the thirst for, you know, oppression and suppression. I wish that Democrats had that same thirst, passion, and drive, but for accountability, responsibility, and the protection of our democracy. But they don't. They clearly do not. And I say often, like, I, I, I honestly, I struggle. I struggle to figure out where we're going. I struggle to muster, right, some feeling that things are going to get better when all I see is them getting worse. And when I'm looking for the Justice Department and for the administration to talk tough, oh, they're doing it. But they're doing it for a foreign adversary, not the people that are literally trying to unseat them right at this very moment. They got no smoke for them. Right? We want to throw the book at an actor right? For making some kind of false claims. Where's the book being thrown out for the officers that lie about the people that they plant evidence on that lie about the people that they've killed? Derek Chauvin would have never had the opportunity to kill George Floyd. Had he been reprimanded? Oh, I don't know. Seven, eight, nine, ten infractions prior to that. You know, it is, it's so, it's just so frustrating. It's so annoying. It's so debilitating and depressing. And then there are some good moments. So I will leave you all with this. You know, I was catching up on the news and came across, which I never, ever watch, 60 Minutes because I was home with my parents and this is what one does. And so I was watching as Anderson Cooper was interviewing Pete Buttigieg, um, Secretary of Transportation, talking, to, talking about infrastructure and politics. And I'm saying, what a fascinating place America is. Where on one hand, you have these two out, proud, white gay men talking about infrastructure and politics. One as a secretary, right, in a cabinet member, in an, in an administration, and the other 
a newscaster. This would have been unthinkable. 10 years ago, definitely 20 years ago, for certain 30 years ago. And here it was. But also coming at the same time when just a few days prior, Ron DeSantis passes signs into law the don't say gay legislation. It's like every time that we have an opportunity to take steps forward, we take so many steps backwards. But I, it wasn't lost on me that it, that was a celebratory moment. To watch these two out and proud white gay men who are gay fathers sit in conversation about infrastructure and politics. Moments like that do, in fact, give me hope. It gives me hope and, you know, and I, I pray that the young queer kids who did not see that because they don't watch fucking 60 Minutes, I want them to have some hope about the future, about the world that we are leaving for them. And so there are these glimmer moments that I'm going to look for more often to point out because we need to feel like there is some type of progress somewhere being made. Because otherwise, we're going to go out of our minds with one bad news story after another, after another, after another. You know, I can't express enough that the conversations that I had with my family, you know, over the last couple of days are all about, well, we got to look for joy. Well, we have to center our happiness. You know, we're looking over at the backyard and seeing, you know, little buds starting to pop off of the trees, knowing that spring is just around the corner. We just had that useless, right, um, spring ahead where we all lost an hour of sleep. Like, why do we still even do that? No one knows. But what it does signal, folks, is longer days, right? More sunshine ahead at a time when things feel so incredibly dark. And so I want to hold on to those moments, right? I want to lift them up, lift up the good news, lift up the good things because they feel very fleeting. And so if we don't honor them as we are, as they are happening, if we don't take a deep breath, if we don't give gratitude each and every single day, just for the opportunity to be here and not just because somebody does not have, but because we are grateful that we do, right? Even for the smallest thing, like breath in your body and the ability to open up your eyes. We have to pay attention to the small so that the big things, right? Like the awful war that is unfolding. Don't knock us off our feet. And that we continue to ground and grow roots and pay attention to and uplift that which matters most. That is it for me today, friends, on this lovely Tuesday as the weather begins to 
turn for the better and we're starting to see 50 degree temperatures which you know sounds so much better than 20s so get out there breathe some fresh air go for some walks take a pause take it all in find you some joy as always power to the people and to all the people power get woke and stay woke as fuck Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Ann Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Now playing only in theaters. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity.